and welcome to Free Thought Politics Podcast, brought to you by Kurzana, the breaking news engine. So we don't have a whole lot of stories to get to today. Um, we do the movie review. I'm going to be doing a review for Black Panther. Um, so make sure you guys stay tuned. That'll be at the end of the show. Make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Um, if you guys haven't already, check us out on Twitter at Free Tea Politics, Facebook Free Thought Politics. Like, share, subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes, Free Thought Politics. And check out our website, freethoughtpolitics.com. Um, a little bit of news, I guess you could say. You know, we're kind of adding stuff to the show, so it's not just story, 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 break, story, 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 end of the show. We're adding stuff that, you know, is significant for a Monday or Wednesday or Friday. So on Mondays, at the end of the second half, we read all the homicide victims from the previous week in Baltimore City, because we want to pay homage to those victims, because they don't get the credit they deserve, um, you know, if I did that every day, it might be maybe one name a day, so putting that once a week on Mondays is a good thing, so that's what we do on Mondays, on Wednesday, we do the movie review at the end of the show, and that's just kind of, you know, not everything, not every story has to be sad and not have a good ending, whether it be Baltimore homicides, uh, shootings in Flo- shooting in Florida, um, conflicts in the Middle East. A lot of the stories I do don't have great endings, so kind of throw that in in the middle of the week, and it gives a po- it gives a positive light to the end of the show. Um, but something I want to institute for Friday is at the end of the second half, or at the at the beginning of the first second half of the show, um, we're gonna read the names of. Any, anybody, any police officers, firemen, anybody from the armed forces has died in the line of duty. Um, and we're not going to go into super, super details about their cases, just like we don't with the homicides in Baltimore City. But we still need to honor them. Those are people that are trying to protect us. You know, you can have your qualms with police. You can have your qualms with what these, the war in the Middle East, in Iraq, Afghanistan, whatever it may be. You can have your qualms with that. I know I have. I've had stories where I talked about police brutality or I talked about the ridiculous wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. But we kind of just let the people that, you know, do those things like that are going to Iraq and Afghanistan with the notion that they're fighting for America, they're protecting our freedoms, and we thank them for that. We just kind of let their names fall by the wayside and we don't really care. Now, there haven't been a lot, but, you know, we're ramping up operations in Syria, so I suspect there's going to be a little more. Um, same with with firemen. Nobody ever talks about them, and they're literally running into burning buildings trying to protect us. Police officers, you can have your problems with them. I mean, I think a lot of it's system, systemic, but... There are individual police officers that are trying to do their job, and the majority of times it's on domestic violence cases, or it's they're chasing someone, and that person has a gun, and they shoot them, and these are people that are trying to protect us, but their names kind of just fall by the wayside. We talk about them for maybe a day or two. Police officer pages will talk about them, but that's their police officer pages, but nobody else does. So on Friday, after the first half of the show, when we come back from break, the second half of the show, we're going to read the names of anybody in all... Um, people from the previous week that have died, law enforcement officers, firemen, um, people in the armed forces. So that'll be on Friday. 
at the start of the second half of the show after the break. So I want to get right into the stories we have today. We only have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stories. And if you guys have been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that's not a lot. Usually you have 14, 15, maybe 16 stories. So let's get right into these stories. Alright, so Syrian and Russian airstrikes on the rebel-held Eastern Gulta enclave have killed more than 100 civilians for the second straight day and put another hospital out of service. In a major development in Syria's complex seven-year war, Damascus also sent pro-regime fighters to the northern Afrin region, where they came under fire by Turkish forces attacking the Kurdish-controlled enclave. On the outskirts of Damascus, airstrikes, rockets, and artillery fire have been battering the Eastern Gulta enclave in apparent preparation for a government ground assault. At least 250 civilians have been killed since the escalation began on Sunday, among them dozens of children, Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said. Bombardment on Tuesday killed 106 civilians, including 19 children, the British Britain-based war monitor said. It was the second straight day that the civilian death toll topped 100 after 127 were killed Monday in Eastern Ghouta's bloodiest day in four years. The strikes left an important hospital out of action, further limiting the medical aid that besieged civilians can access. So, I made the argument before, um, when we take in refugees, what makes the what is happening in Syria different than what happened in Cuba with the uh, communist revolution? When you had civilians getting killed, um, dissenters getting put in prison getting put in the firing squad. What what is the difference? Why we cuz we let them in. There might have been some hatred towards them, but we had a you know, essentially you show up, you're good policy. A wet foot dry foot policy. You know, if you made it to the US, you were good. What's the difference between what has happening happened there and what happened in Syria? Because we seem to have a completely different view of how we treat these refugees. In Cuba, the government attacked and jailed, killed, tortured dissenters. In Syria, they're attacking, killing, torturing dissenters. Sometimes not even dissenters. Sometimes just regular civilians. Children. You're telling me these children are such problems to the Syrian government they have to be killed? No. They're just indiscriminate killings. By the Syrian government. So here you have a people where their own government, the people that are supposed to protect them, are killing them. And we're saying, whoa, whoa, we might not be able to accept them as refugees. You know, in, in the 30s, um, when we had, in the 40s, when refugees came over from Europe... And tried to seek refuge from this guy named Adolf Hitler. We turned them away. You know. Little did we know. We were sending them back to their deaths. And when we turn these people away. And we say you. You know when we put travel bans on Syria. And countries in the Middle East. We're sending them back to their deaths. That's what they're fleeing. ISIS. Donald Trump wants to talk about how ISIS is. On the brink of defeat. If they're on the brink of defeat, do you really think that they're launching operations to have massive refugee applications and massive amounts of people go to the U.S. to commit acts of terror? No, they're not. So, this just further plays into the complicated situation that is it is the Middle East that is Syria. 
You have Syrian and Russian airstrikes um, attacking, you know, um, anti-Assad groups. They're, they're fighting ISIS. They're fighting anti-Assad groups. They're fighting them. Turkey doesn't like some of the anti-ISIS groups. We don't like ISIS, but we support some of the anti-ISIS groups. We don't like Assad. It's a complete, it's, it's a mess. In the words, in the infamous words of Donald Trump, it's a mess. We're not winning. Um, so something I did mention in that story is that um, pro-Damascus forces Syria's pro-regime fighters have been sent to the northern Afrin region, which is controlled by Kurdish forces. So Turkey warned on Wednesday the pro-Damascus forces would face serious consequences for entering Syria's Afrin region to help Kurdish fighters repel a Turkish offensive. Their arrival raises the specter of wider escalation on Syria's northern battlefront, where the Syrian army, allied Iran-linked militias, Kurdish forces, rebels, Turkish troops, and Russian and American forces are all contending. The Syrian Kurdish YPG militia and Turkish planes bombed the said Turkish planes bombed the town in Afrin on Wednesday. Turkey began its assault last month to drive out the YPG, which it deems a security threat along its border akin to the Turkish PK, to the Kurdish PKK insurgency on its own soil. Paramilitary forces aligned with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad arrived in Afrin on Tuesday. Turkey and the Syrian insurgents, its supports, tried to force them back with artillery. So there's Syrian, there's anti-Assad militia groups that aren't YPG, aren't Kurdish. They're still fighting Assad, so Turkey aligns themselves with them to fight Assad and fight the Kurdish. Um, Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan's spokesman said on Wednesday the forces in a convoy of some 40 to 50 vehicles had retreated. Any step by the Syrian regime or the elements of this direction will surely have serious consequences. Ibrahim Kalin told a news conference, but a YPG official and a pro-Assad military commander denied similar Turkish statements on Tuesday night. The commander in the alliance fighting alongside Damascus and Syria, Syria's almost eight-year-old civil war, told Reuters the forces in Afrin have returned fire against Turkish-backed rebels. Erdogan described the pro-government forces coming, pro-government fighters coming to the YPG's aid as Shiite Muslim militias acting independently and warned they would pay a heavy price. Any step aimed at supporting the YPG terrorist organization will mean they become legitimate targets, his spokesman said on Wednesday. Kaleen added that Turkey was not in direct talks with the Syrian government, but its messages were being indirectly convoyed. The forces that arrived, which included combatants allied to Assad but not Syrian army troops, will deploy near the Turkish border, the YPG said. So, the Turks view um, the PKK as terrorists. PKK is a terrorist, um, a Turkish view terrorist organization that has, has committed horrible, has committed bad acts in Turkey and. The YPG is aligned with the PKK because they're both Kurdish. So Turkey views them all as terrorists. The U.S., though, is aligned with the Kurds. We're also supposed to be aligned with the Turks. So now when you have Erdogan issuing this warning that there are going to be serious consequences for anyone that helps Kurdish fighters, we're helping Kurdish fighters. Are we now getting into a war with Turkey? Yeah, maybe that would make things a little less complicated, but that's just another war in the Middle East with our strong, one of our strongest allies in that region, 
In the Middle East, it's Israel and Turkey are probably our strongest allies. When you look at somewhat, when you look at stable governments, Turkey and Israel. I mean, you you have the Saudis, but Turks, Israel, Saudi Arabia, boom. There are other nations; they're small, but when you look at powerful armies, stable governments, big economies, Turkey, Israel, Saudi Arabia. So, if we get into some type of war, we've already had attacks on Russian-linked fighters. So, what's to stop us from having attacks on Turkish-linked fighters? Alright, so let's get on to the uh, next story. You know, obviously, every every day there's every day there's going to be stuff that I'm going to do on Syria. So, pr- pr- almost pretty much every day there's going to be stuff on the Middle East. Because this is a never-ending thing. Whether it be U.S. forces strike Russian, um, Russian-linked mercenaries, or... Syrian pro-Assad forces that aren't Syrian military, but they're pro-Assad, moving to Afrin. They're helping Kurdish fighters, but the Turks don't like that. It, every day there's going to be some news. Alright, so let's get on to the uh, next story. So, an armed gang stormed into a royal police station in South Africa on Wednesday and stole firearms in an attack that left five officers and a soldier dead, police said. The robbers entered the police station in the southern village of Enkobo shortly after midnight, opening fire on the officers and seizing two others, who were later shot and killed, police spokesman Vish Nadu said. During the early hours of this morning, six people were killed when robbers attacked Enkobo police station. Five of the six were on-duty police officers. Three police officers were killed at the police station when robbers attacked the station and randomly opened fire on the members. Nadu said the robbers made off with firearms and bundled two other officers into a police car. The bodies of the two were later found dumped on the side of the road. The attackers also shot and killed a soldier as they fled. Attacks on police are common in South Africa, which is one of the highest crime rates in the world. At least 57 police officers were killed in the line of duty in the month in the 12 months between April 2016 and March 2017 according to the latest crime statistics available. Um, this is just, you know, this is a horrible, I don't have a whole, you know, whole lot of commentary on this situation. Um, when it's, when it's on this much of a massive scale, when it is six pe- soldiers, when it is six killed, you know, five police officers, one soldier killed, and it's, it's essentially like, um, another nation attacking that police station. I mean, think of it. You know, an armed gang storms into a police station, that would be like an invasion. That would be like a U.S. invasion of Iraq. We're storming into Iraq. This armed gang was storming into this police station. When it's on a big scale like this and six people die, then that's when you report on it. So this is a horrible situation. Um, I realize there's corruption. South Africa's no stranger to it. But you... Low-level police, yes, they may be corrupt, they may be bought off by other gangs, but the way to fight that isn't violence. The way to fight that is, it, it it's through voting, it's through diplomatic reasons, it's through legal processes. If you attack them and carry out violence, that group is going to attack you back, and then it's just a never-ending cycle.
Alright, so let's get on to the next story. We're going to have... Uh, we're going to do two more stories, and then we're going to go on to the break. Alright, so... I spoke uh, last couple weeks ago about charges recommended by the Israeli police force against Benjamin Netanyahu on um, bribery and corruption charges. So... One of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's closest confidants has agreed to testify against him in a graft probe. Israeli media reported Wednesday in a fresh threat to his long tenure in power. Two new corruption investigations announced this week hot on the heels of a police recommendation that Netanyahu faces charges in two other cases have fueled growing speculation he could be forced to step down or call an early election. Shlomo Fieber, a Netanyahu ally for more than 20 years and former Director General of the Communications Ministry, is expected to agree to turn state witness in exchange for avoiding jail, according to experts across the Israeli press. Police did not confirm any deal. Fieber was arrested on Sunday in connection with allegations that Shal Elovich, the controlling shareholder of Israeli telecommunications giant Bezek, gave Netanyahu positive coverage on his Walla news site in exchange for policies benefiting the business. Fieber is suspected of mediating between Netanyahu and Olovict and promoting regulatory changes worth millions to Bezek. Two senior Bezek employees also detained on Sunday. CEO Stella Handler and Amikam Shara appeared Wednesday in court, where their, where their remand was extended until Friday, uh, until February 26th. The Prime Minister himself has not been named as a suspect in the investigation, though if they're arresting these people, he's going to be named soon, or at least come up in some way. In just another in another case announced this week, two Netanyahu allies are alleged to have offered a judge promotion in exchange for dropping a case against the Premier's wife. The two men have been identified as Nir Hafetz and Eli Kemmer, both former media advisors for the Netanyahu family. Their alleged offer was to Hilagerstahl, a judge involved in a graft probe, and to Sarah Netanyahu over alleged misuse of public funds. Additionally, last week, police said they, there were grounds to indict the Prime Minister himself in two other cases for bribery, fraud, and breach of public trust. Usually when there's this much of talk about, it's not just... Okay, so let's look at two situations. Let's look at what's going on in Israel with allegations of corruption, bribery, misuse of public funds um, against Benjamin Netanyahu, and then collusion allegations against Donald Trump. Okay. In the U.S., there's... There's, um... There's a special counsel. He's investigating the president. He's recommended charges against the president's friends. But mostly... For lying, you know, Paul Manafort is failing to report as a Russian agent, or you know, accepting accepting money. Michael Flynn failing to report money accepted from the Russian government, and a lot of it, of the charges also have been lying to Robert Mueller. So perjury. We look. Let's look at Israel. You have the police recommending charges against him. This is official, an official government organization. No official government organization in the U.S. has recommended charges against Donald Trump himself. Yeah, there have been congressmen that have come out and said it, or media organizations, but no official, the FBI, has, the DOJ has not said, I think we should charge Donald Trump. So, you have the Israeli police recommending charges against Netanyahu. You have people involved in the case, people that were involved in bribery, 
being arrested for said bribery. This would be if, you know, okay, you arrested the Russians for election meddling, all right? If you arrested Russians for trying to collude with Donald Trump, then there'd be like, oh, well, that's getting close. Yeah, maybe this is something. So people are being arrested for the very ex of Benjamin Netanyahu is being thought about, brought up on charges for. All these things don't come out when they're just false. This isn't some mass conspiracy by anti-Israel activists. I'm sure th- I am 100% sure the police don't want to see Israel fail. If Benjamin Netanyahu was smart, he would step down, pull a Richard Nixon, get out of there before you get charged. Not that, you know, he could still get charged, but this will at least take some blowback, take some media pressure off of it. Because if he's the president and he gets charged, then all that's everything everybody's going to be talking about. Is the prime minister of Israel charged with corruption and bribery? If he's not, and there's a new prime minister in there, then it, even if he still gets charged, it's not going to get... It can blow over easier. So... I'm expecting very soon that there are going to be some charges against um, Benjamin Netanyahu. We'll be sure to let you guys know that. Just keep in mind. Um, you know, no leader is exempt of. Almost no leader is. No country is exempt of having corrupt politicians, I should say. Not a leader, because there are some leaders that aren't corrupt, but no country is exempt of having corrupt politicians. I just, you know, what I just talk about in South Africa, how a lot of countries in Africa, it's not the people, it's the politicians and the top officials that are corrupt that destroy those countries, that ruin those countries. Israel hasn't been destroyed or ruined. They've been, you know, engaging in, in my opinion, war crimes and illegal settlement buildings. But so we'll be sure to update you guys on anything that comes out of this situation. All right, so let's get uh, right on to the next story. So an international complaint uh, filed by Latvian Bank Norvik alleges that a senior Latvian official reportedly sought to extort monetary bribes and retaliated against the bank when its owners refused to pay up. The 39-page claim filed before World Bank Arbitration Body did not name the Latvian official. That person is Ilmars Rimsevich, Norvik Bank officials told the Associated Press. Rimsevich, the country's top banking official and a key member of the European Central Bank, was detained Saturday in swirling accusations of bribery amid swirling accusations of bribery and money laundering schemes in Latvia that reached back to Russia. He was released on bail Monday and said he rejects everything about the allegations, Latvian State TV reported. The country's anti-corruption agency said it suspects Rimsevich of seeking a large-scale bribe and has started a criminal investigation. High-stakes drama unfolded Saturday when Rimsevich was detained upon arriving for questioning at the office of Latvia's anti-corruption agency and was interviewed for eight hours into the night, his lawyer told the state TV. His office and a property were raided, the channel said. 
The looming criminal charges against a man who has overseen the country's banking sector since 1992 in the wake of the Soviet collapse have plunged a small Baltic nation into turmoil. Rumsevich's attention is particularly sensitive as he sits on, top, on the top policy-making council of the ECB, Europe's most powerful financial institution, and is piv privy to the state secrets of Latvia, not NATO and the European Union. So like I just said in the last story, no nation is exempt from having corrupt politicians. They kind of tie in together, um, the two stories. No, you know, here you have a former Soviet country, you know, someone who's atop the EU, the Europe's biggest banking institution, ahead of Latvia's banking sector, and here he is with ex charged or alleged charged with extorting money bribes. Um, he would extort monetary bribes, and then retaliated against banks when its owners refused to pay up. So there's also rumors of ties to uh, to the Russians. So this is not looking good for him, and it's not looking good for Europe. The EU is not in the best shape. We have Brexit. Um, Brexit talks are heating up. You have countries that are being taken to court by the EU. Europe is not, the EU is not in the best of shape right now. All right, so we're going to go to a quick break. When we do come back, we have three more stories to get to, but we're going to do, um, I thought we had four. I don't know. I can't do math for some reason. All right, so we have three more stories to get to, um, and then we're going to do a movie review. So make sure you guys stick around for that, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Free Thought Politics Podcast. Thank you guys for sticking around through the break. Um, so we're going to get right back in the show. We're going to get all these stories done. And then we're going to do our movie review. Alright, so the first story we have to get to. So a lawyer who is the son-in-law of a Russian oligarch named in the con named in the controversial Donald Trump dossier pleaded guilty on Tuesday to lying to investigators. Sorry, to lying to investigators in the special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia probe. It's not clear to what extent Alex van der Zwein may be helping Mueller, who is investigating Russian interference in the 2016 election and possible ties to the Trump campaign. A plea agreement signed last week doesn't mention cooperation as a condition. Van der Zwein, the fourth person to plead guilty in the Russia probe, admitted in federal court to the sole count of making false statements about his communications with former Trump campaign aide Rick Gates. Gates and his longtime business associate, former Trump campaign chief Paul Manafort, were indicted in October on charges of money laundering, conspiracy, and other offenses tied to their lobbying on behalf of Ukrainian political figures. Until he was fired last year, Van der Zwein worked in the London office of powerhouse law firm Skaden, Arps, Slate, Meger, and Flum, where he helped write and report on behalf of the Ukrainian government that critics said sought to justify the false imprisonment of Ukraine's former Prime Minister Yuli Tymoshenko. Manafort and Gates were also working on behalf of Tymoshenko's rivals, including ousted President Viettir Viktor Yanukovych. The New York Times reported in September that Manafort arranged for Skaden firm to do the work, and the U.S. prosecutors were asking questions about it. Okay, so this is another thing. Um... I was I was talking about this on when I talked about Benjamin Netanyahu. He's getting this guy's getting charged for lying, for perjury, for not telling the truth about um his interactions with Robert Gates. 
so, or with Rick Gates, not Robert Gates, uh, Rick Gates, with Rick Gates. So this isn't, he helped Donald Trump to collude. He talked to Donald Trump and tried to organize some sort of collusion effort. No, this is, he lied when when asked questions about this, and that's what he's getting charged for. Um, It's unclear whether he would have gotten charged if he would have said the right thing, um, if he would have told the truth to begin with, but he is getting charged for this. Now, obviously, media outlets are covering this. Oh my God, another revelation in the Russia thing. Donald Trump not necessarily implicated in this. So, um, you know, listen, I'm going to cover when stuff happens with the Russia campaign. I'm not going to cover speculation. Oh, this person might get charged. Robert Mueller rumored to be working up charges on so-and-so. No, I'm going to talk about it when charges are brought up because a lot of it is speculation. A lot of it is hearsay. A lot of the allegations in the media are hearsay, speculation. So I'm not going to talk about it until we have concrete evidence of the fact. Alright, so let's get on to the uh, next story real quick. So we talked about the uh, shooting in Florida on was that Friday. Um, we talked about you know, planned marches. The students were planning um, marches and rallies. We talked about that on Monday, and I said, good, you know, listen, I might not agree with all the proposals they're putting forward, but I'm all for political activism, especially at such a young age. What I don't like is when people say, gun control, gun control, gun control. No, let's talk about the specific proposals. Let's talk about, okay, do you want to ban semi-automatic rifles? Do you want tougher background checks? Do you want to close this loophole, that loophole? Do you want to ban all weapons? Let's talk about the actual proposal. Let's not just say gun control. So, students are organizing more rallies. Students across the United States are leading protests against gun violence after a mass shooting at a Florida high school left 17 dead last week. Politicians who sit in their gilded house and Senate seats, funded by the NRA, telling us nothing would have ever done, nothing would have ever been done to prevent this, we call BS. Emma Gonzalez, who survived last Wednesday's shooting, said, said in during a speech on Saturday that went viral. They said that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS. Well, I hate to tell you, but it's thousands. Um, but we don't... You know, listen. Uh, I'm drawing, trying to draw a fine line because... You know, this... this um, Emma Gonzalez, there's been a lot of attack um, from people on the right. Some people on the right that... Oh, they should be back in school. Or, you know... You just read some of the comment sections on videos of... You know, these students protesting. Oh, what are they protesting? They're too young to know anything. No, they're not too young to know anything. This girl's 18. And, you know, you had 17-year-old... You had a 19-year-old that did the shooting. So, obviously, he knew enough how to get a weapon, how to use it. Obviously, he knew well enough for that. Kids aren't dumb just because they're 16, 17, 18 years old. So, there's been a lot of undue criticism and, you know, just saying, oh, well, you know, maybe, you know, someone should just run them over when they're marching in the streets. There's a lot of horrible criticism and disgusting things out there like that. So I'm trying, I want to draw a fine line on how I criticize, um, these people. But I do want to say, she says, hundreds of senseless tragedies. It's thousands. But we don't talk about the murders in the inner cities. We don't talk about the murders of young black men in Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis. We don't talk about them. CNN sending out tweets or sent out tweets last night um, 
about each individual per student that was killed in this. And it's great. Yes, we need we need to stop idolizing and putting pictures up of the shooter, talking about him, talking about his name. We need to stop doing that. We need to honor the victims. That's great, CNN. But where were you when people are getting shot in Baltimore City, Chicago, Detroit, and all those other all the other um inner cities across the country? Where are you when people are getting shot then? Do you not care? See, I really do think it has something to do with race. I know this is a controversial thing to say, but listen, white people feel safe in schools. They feel safe in movie theaters and churches. They should. We should feel safe. In, we should feel safe everywhere. That should be the eventual goal for there be, to be no place where we don't feel unsafe. Just existing there. We should feel safe. But white, white people don't feel safe in West Baltimore or the south side of Chicago. Or inner city Detroit. They don't feel safe in those places, so they're like, eh, I'm not gonna, not gonna talk. You know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, look at Baltimore City, look at its murders. But then you won't talk about the victims. You won't talk about the 17-year-olds, the 16-year-olds, the kids that are getting shot almost every day across this country. You won't talk about them. We talk about it when it happens here. We talk about it when it happens at a church. And we should. I am by no means saying we shouldn't talk about it then. But why are we not talking about it when it happens in those cities? She said tougher gun law. Um, One of the statements she said was tougher gun laws. Um, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of it. I, I heard it. It's not in here. It's a, she said something along the lines of, you know, We've been told that tougher gun laws won't prevent gun violence. We call BS. Well, in Baltimore City, we have one of one of the top three, if not the highest, homicide rate in the country. And we have some of the toughest gun laws in the country. It is so ridiculous in Baltimore City that if I go to a firearms dealer, if I go to a gun store, I am not a, I, and I buy a Glock, all right? And I buy some ammo for that Glock. I have to put the Glock in my car, drive home, drop the Glock off, go back to the store, get the ammo, then drive back home because, because it is illegal for me to have a firearm and the ammo in the same vehicle. That is how ridiculous Baltimore City gun laws are. But we still have crime. We still have one of the highest homicide rates in the country. So when you want to talk about tough gun laws don't solve crime. That's true. Tough gun laws don't solve crime. When you just throw out gun control, gun control. You know, I there is this, um, there's a picture on this article from Al Jazeera. Um, one of the, uh, signs at, uh, protests. And I'm not criticizing this woman. I just think it argues a point. I don't know who this woman is. Um, she's not a student. She appears to be an older woman, but her sign says, gun control is not about guns, it's about control. And listen, I'm not any, I'm not a tinfoil wearing, tinfoil hat wearing Alex Jones type character, or oh my god, the government's trying to control us, we can't let them do, we, you know, they take our guns, next thing you do, we're gonna be like the, um, we're gonna be like Nazi Germany. No, I'm not like any type, like that kind of person. But, I do also realize that, When a government disarms its citizens, it is susceptible to those things. That's the very reason why we have the Second Amendment in place. Not that we've 
we're just going to readily, you know, I'm predicting next month, we're going to have to overthrow the government. No, but sometimes us having those weapons, the government knowing that its citizens are armed, knowing that its citizens could defend against an attack, is a deterrent enough. That is what the Second Amendment is for. It is exactly what it is for. It's not about hunting. Yes, okay, you know, you use your gun for hunting. You know, use your gun for self-home defense. It is not about that. It is about protecting yourself against a tyrannical government. And that's exactly what we did to found this country. You know, I support these students' protests. I support I real I support any form of activism as long as it's peaceful. You know, I'm not gonna be one of these idiots that goes on this on comment board comment board saying, you know, criticizing these students not on the issue, but simply because of the fact they're protesting. I'm gonna talk about the issue. They wanna talk about the issue, let's have that conversation. I'm gonna talk about the issue. But I'm not gonna criticize them because of the fact they're protesting. Good for them for protesting. Oh my god, they blocked the road. Protests aren't meant to be convenient. I don't know if you know that. If I'm just walking down the sidewalk with a sign that says gun control, everybody's going to be like, oh, who's that guy? Eh, I don't care. All right, let me turn the radio up. Boom. And they forget. But it means it, it puts it in people's minds. I might not agree with the term. I might not agree with some of the measures they propose. I think they should have more concrete action than just saying the word gun control Gun control, gun control can mean various things. Gun control can mean we want to ban semi-automatic rifles. Gun control can mean, you know, we want tougher background checks. Gun control can mean we want to take away all guns. What does it mean? Talk about the specific proposal, but they can't do that. If they do that, then let's have that conversation. I also think there's a lack of knowledge. There's a lot, listen, I'm not a firearms expert. Never fired a weapon before. I don't pretend to know everything about guns. I Think to like I like to think I know a little bit about guns, but I've seen posts that say um, the AR-15 was designed so is is used so soldiers in the Middle East can you know do their military operations. Well, they use M16s. They use different weapons other than the AR-15. Um, it's supposed to mimic that, but the AR-15 is not used there, so that's factually incorrect. They're saying that it can shoot 42 rounds a second. Uh, if it's automatic, if you put a bump stock on it, maybe, but I, you know, bump stock should be illegal in my opinion. Automatic weapon should be illegal in my opinion. It, the rate of fire depends on how fast you can pull the trigger. Because it's a semi-automatic rifle. A pistol is semi-automatic. It might not be able to fire as fast. You might not be able to pull the trigger, boom, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. It might take a little bit of time, but it's still semi-automatic. So there's a lack of knowledge. And then when it comes to silencers, they're not even silent. They're suppressors because they don't silence the weapon. This isn't video games. This isn't Jane Bond's movies where, oh, I fire a gun. Pew, 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 pew. That's not the sound it makes. You're still going to hear a noise. It's going to be quieter, but there's still going to be a noise. It suppresses the sound. It doesn't silence it. So there is a lack of knowledge. There's misinformation on that part. I'm sorry. Let's do one more story. And then we're going to go to our movie review for Black Panther. All right. So um, a lot of people have been calling for Donald Trump. Trump, you can do something. Well, we criticize him for his executive actions. I think executive actions are unconstitutional, whether it comes from Barack Obama, Donald Trump, George Bush, Bill Clinton, whoever it should be. I think they're unconstitutional. But 
President Donald Trump said on Tuesday that he's directed his attorney general to propose changes that would ban bump fire stocks, which make it easier to fire rounds more quickly. The move adds his voice to the process that began in December, two months after a gunman used a device in a shooting that left scores dead at a concert in Las Vegas. Just a few moments ago, I signed a memo directing the Attorney General to propose regulations that ban all devices that turn legal weapons into machine guns, Trump said in a Medal of Valor event in the White House, addressing Attorney General Jeff Sessions. I expect these, reg these regulations to be finalized, Jeff, very soon. While the President's comments on the issue is new, the Justice Department had announced in December, in the wake of the Las Vegas shooting, that it had begun the rulemaking process could allow it to reinterpret the legality of the devices. My... I I just said in the last story, I think bump fires, um, bump stocks should be illegal. It's It should be illegal to have an automatic weapon, and it should be illegal to make a semi-automatic weapon automatic. That's just common sense. So, there's something we can agree on. There's a specific policy action. You know, good job for Donald Trump for taking this measure. I give credit where credit is due. I'm not going to be like, oh my God, he's this orange maniac, Cheeto guy. You know, I'm not, not doing that all. We can't, we can't talk about anything good he's ever done. No, I'm going to criticize him when he does wrong, bad stuff. And I've criticized him on this show quite a few times. And I'm going to talk about when he does good stuff. I'll give him credit for that. And this is a good thing. I think we should ban bump stocks. It's, it makes zero sense that it is illegal to have an automatic weapon, but it's legal to make a semi-automatic weapon automatic. That makes zero sense. Alright, so um, those are all the stories we got for today. So real quick, let's do our movie review for Black Panther. Alright, so yesterday I saw the movie Black Panther. I know I kind of moved around the movie that I was going to see. Um, I saw the movie Black Panther. I thought it was a very good movie. Um, let me read you the synopsis for it from IMDb real quick. So, after the events of Captain America Civil War, King T'Challa returns home to the reclusive, technologically advanced African nation of Wakanda to serve as his country's new leader. However, T'Challa soon finds that he is challenged for the throne from factions within his own country when two foes conspire to destroy Wakanda. The hero known as Black Panther must team up with CIA agent Everett K. Ross and members of the Dora Milaje, Wakandan Special Forces, to prevent Wakanda from being dragged into a world war. So, there's been, obviously this movie has been extremely hyped up, and I guess a worry was, you know, there are so many movies that are hyped up, Star Wars was hyped up, for example, Star Wars Episode 6, or not Episode 6, um, Episode 9, was hyped up ridiculously, I gave it a 6 out of 10, I thought it was, I thought it was bad, I didn't like it, I gave it a 6, and maybe I was biased just because it's Star Wars, but that was a ridiculously hyped up movie, and this was a very hyped up movie. So, you go into it with some skepticism, but a lot of the reviews were good. So, my review on Black Panther, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I gave Black Panther a 10 out of 10. I thought it was, the story was very good. It was a long movie, but it didn't feel, felt, it didn't feel like a drug on. Star Wars kind of felt like that, like a drug on. I know movies, I, I've criticized Winchester, um, movie I gave, I think, a 4 out of 10 a few weeks ago, for not being long enough. This movie was the right length, the story was very good, it didn't drag on, the character development was great, there was a lot of characters, but they still did a great job of it. I think it was, it was a new kind of, um, introduction to, you know, superheroes. 
You know, we look at the Hulk. Oh, he, you know, got too much gamma radiation. And now Steve Banner, when he gets angry, turns into the Hulk. Iron Man got, you know, he's rich. That's pretty much it. He's rich. Um, Captain America got a super soldier serum. You know, we've kind of seen this process with Black Panther was very, I'm not going to spoil it. This is a spoiler free review. Um, they're all spoiler free reviews, but it was a, it was a different kind of evolution to superhero. So I thought it was very cool. It was very nice to get introduced to the world of Wakanda. Um, it was a very good movie. 10 out of 10. I would definitely recommend seeing it. I'll probably see it again. So make sure you guys check that out. That's Black Panther. I gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, next week, we're going to do the 1517 to Paris. I know I promised to do that last week, but we're going to do that next week. So next week, we're going to review the 1517 to Paris. Um, so make sure you guys tune in for that. Well, that's it for the show today, guys. Um, thank you for tuning in. I know we ran right under 50 minutes, but uh, thank you for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day Wednesday. We'll see you th- uh, Friday. Have a great Wednesday. Have a great Thursday. And as always, keep fighting. Peace.